This morning we are in Mark chapter 10, so let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Very familiar story if you've been in, in the Christian faith for any amount of time, uh, but there's always wonderful things to learn every time we go over a passage of Scripture. So we are studying this morning Mark chapter 10, verses 17 down to verse 31. Let me read down to verse 22 right now, and then we'll pick up the, the story as we go. So let me read. We'll have a word of prayer. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. This is a great verse. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away aggrieved, for he had great possessions. Let's pray together. Lord, may our, may our greatest possession in life be you, Lord. This wonderful relationship, God, that you invite us into, Lord. May, may you be the prized possession of our hearts and our minds, Lord. And we, we confess, God, there are many distractions in this world, Lord. Many enticements and many voices that, that offer us other things. And uh, a lot of us have tried those other things, Lord. We, we come back to you. And we say, Lord, that you are the one that satisfies our souls in the most deepest way, God. In you there's peace and joy and love, God, and true fulfillment, Lord. So uh, have your way with us, we pray, Father. And uh, show us how great you are. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here a young man, and he's called a, a rich man, he's called a young man, and he's asking about inheriting eternal life, and so that's what this message is about, inheriting eternal life. He asked Jesus how to inherit eternal life. Look at verse 17 again as we work our way through. As he was going out on the road, so Jesus is traveling now, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? It's a really, really good question. That's the best question anybody can ask anybody. And this young man has had a real keen insight about a lot of things. Look at your notes, if you would. The, the parallel Gospels, Matthew and Luke, tell us some different things about this young man. He was young, and he had a spiritual awareness that he lacked something. So that's kind of significant right off the bat. A lot of, a lot of times people don't come to that awareness till later in life that they've been missing something. But this, this young man had a had a spiritual awareness that he lacked something. Matthew 19.20 says, The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? So just want to point out that he's young. He's at the beginning of his life. He's accomplished some things, apparently. He has some things. But he's young, but he's, he's asking a really mature question, and it's really to be commended. Also in Luke, we are told, and, and we see this also in Mark, but just it says it very clearly in Luke, uh, when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. So usually, you know, when you talk about young, rich people, 
You see videos on YouTube or something of like that nature of them doing stupid things. <laughs> because they have all these resources, they don't have any wisdom, they don't have any self-control. Not all the time, but you guys, you guys we see that kind of thing. Uh, a, young, a young person uh, or, or an older person with no self-control, no responsibility, no sense of what's really important in life, with all these resources, they just throw money away and, and get into trouble oftentimes. And so this guy is really, really an exception to that rule. He's really exemplary in a lot of ways. We see in verse 17 that he's also quite earnest and he's humble. He comes running to Jesus. Almost, you can almost picture him kind of breaking through the crowd, pushing past people. So he, he really forces himself into the presence of Jesus and then he kneels down. You know, I, I would feel weird if anybody did that to me. I guess I should feel weird if anybody did that to me, you know. But he, he just, he was very earnest. And he, there, wasn't, there wasn't an apparent pride in his life. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting to have anybody kneel down before anybody. But Jesus also, guys, remember, was a very controversial figure. And if this man had any awareness at all, he's kneeling down in front of a rabbi that's saying and doing things that are going to get him killed. And so he just doesn't seem to care about anything. He doesn't seem, and I use the word seem because we don't know, but he doesn't seem to care about other people's opinions. He doesn't seem to care about how people view him. He doesn't seem to care about, uh, you know, other things that he could be doing. He could be out spending his money, living crazily and, and doing all these other things, but he has this awareness that he's lacking something in his life and he's very fortunate, you know, um, we pray that kind of thing for our kids and grandkids, don't we? That, that, that at a young age, they would, would realize their spiritual need. Amen. So he's got a lot going on here that's really, really good. He calls Jesus good teacher, which apparently, historically, was a unique title implying sinlessness and complete goodness. So he's saying something that the rabbis weren't even comfortable hearing about themselves, according to history. Nobody ever called rabbis good or, or used that kind of verbiage or that kind of title for, for a man, but here he sees something in Jesus that is extreme. All, I, all I'm saying is this, is, this is the kind of guy that, that every evangelical Christian should want to talk to. <laughs> you know? he, he, nobody's having to beg him to sit down and have a cup of coffee and have a conversation about faith. He's the one that comes running up to you at Pete's Coffee and says, please tell me how to get saved. I mean, that's like, you know, every, every Christian's, hopefully every Christian's dream. Yeah, boy, sure, let's sit down, you know, and let me, let me tell you about eternal life. So he's very earnest. He's, he's got a lot of things going on. He's to be admired and emulated. Some thoughts I had about this young man. We don't know if his wealth is earned or inherited. We don't know. We're not told. But in some ways, it doesn't really matter because he had a higher view of life than many people that we know. There's certainly a lot of wealth in the Napa Valley, isn't there? I've never had a particularly wealthy person come and say, Pastor Bill, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I just, you know, I'm sure it happens and it's wonderful when it does happen, but I, I haven't experienced that. I don't know if any of you guys have. But so he's, he's quite a guy. Um... He uses a very correct word regarding eternal life. Look what he says in verse uh, 17, the second part. He says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at your notes, if you would. The word inherit, a definition, it means to receive something 
or to be an heir, to receive as a possession or to obtain something. I started thinking about inheritance. Oftentimes when we receive an inheritance, there are certain stipulations that must be met, certain things that need to be in place, certain relationships must be in place, certain conditions must be met. I've heard about very wealthy uh, you know, businessmen or something like that who have the wisdom to not just leave millions of dollars to their, to their young children or their teenage kids or you know, young adult children because of the likelihood that they're going to just blow the money and, and be irresponsible and that kind of thing. So they'll say something like this, I will pay for you to go to any college that you want to in the United States, but you have to maintain you know, a B-plus average, and as long as you maintain a B-plus average, this trust fund will keep supporting you, all your living expenses, all these things, so that you get a four- or five-year uh, education, and then once you graduate, you're going to get another lump sum, and then when you hit you know, 30 years old, and if life is still going well, you get another lump sum, that kind of thing. There's some conditions that have to be met. And it's really interesting to me that this young man comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to receive a free gift? That's the way that I interpret it. I used to teach this in a different way, and I've kind of got a new set of eyes on it. I used to think he's saying, what do I have to do to earn eternal life? And I just kind of saw that word do, and do is an action word, so I'm thinking he thinks he has to do something to, uh, to earn eternal life. But he uses the word inherit. And I started connecting the dots a little bit better in, in the wisdom of my old age, of course. And I just thought, you know, I think he's asking a better question than I gave him credit for before. What conditions have to be met in my life so that I can receive a free gift? And that's often how inheritances are. Not always, and the human, the human illustration always has its, its weaknesses, but, but inheritances are, are often given that way. Look at, look at the definitions I put down here. If we can, if we can you know, delineate between the two ideas, a wage is compensation received for works or services. If you work these many hours, I will pay you this much money for, for these many hours, and this is what you'll get. It's kind of a, 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 a this equals that kind of, kind of relationship, mathematically speaking. But an inheritance, to receive a gift for an inheritance, oftentimes... Conditions have to be met, but what you receive on this side is exponentially greater than the conditions that had to be met. For a kid to go to school or for a young adult to go to school, maintain you know, a 3.5 average and stay out of trouble and that kind of thing, is certainly not earning him the $1 million that he's going to get when he graduates or something like that. So the inheritance is a much greater thing than the wage. And so he's not saying here, what do I have to do to earn eternal life? He's saying, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And I think that's a distinction that needs to be made. Look at verse 17 again. As he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? By the way, inheritance, I skipped over this. Something received at the death of another. If, if your spiritual radar is on right away, you're realizing when Jesus died for our sins, he provides an inheritance for us in the kingdom of God. Another definition, inheritance, to come into the possessions of someone else. He, Jesus gains the kingdom of God for all who will believe in him. But to receive the inheritance of the kingdom of God, something has to be done. And I think that's where the young man had it really, really right. In verse 17, he realizes 
that some kind of additional change is needed in his life. He realizes he's lacking something. Guys, this is really rare. You know, this is really rare. I've, I've certainly met people that have come to me and said, I'm really lacking something in life. That, you know, I think it was Pasquale that's, that's attributed the quote like, there's, a, there's a, a God-shaped hole in our heart that only he can fill. And certainly I've been on the, on the end of having a hole in my heart, a God-shaped hole in my heart and trying to fill it with other things and, and it doesn't satisfy. But there seems to be a greater inherent difficulty with someone that has more options of, of, of how they want to fill the hole in their heart. For me, three or four or five options. That's all my bank account would allow. <laughs> but if you have unlimited funds, kind of like Solomon, he spared nothing. nothing. If he had a whim, and he was one of the richest men that's ever lived, if he had a thought, he just gave it to himself. So a person with more resources has more opportunities to try to fill that hole in his heart with this or that, or maybe I'll buy an island, or maybe I'll buy uh, an, an NFL football team, or maybe I'll do this, or I'll have this wife, this wife, this wife, you know, in other countries, maybe I'll have a whole harem of wives, or all these other things, or, or I'll try exotic, crazy things, I'll try illegal things. Why? Because I have the money and I can afford it. So it seems to me that people that have more resources to try to fill the hole in their heart maybe take a little bit longer to get to Jesus because they, they just have the ability to go through so many options. I hope that makes sense. And this guy yet, well, I don't know how many options he's been through. We don't know. We're not told anything except that he's young, which usually implies less responsibility than an older person. And he's rich, which means he has more opportunities to do things that other people don't. And yet he still has an awareness that there's something lacking in my heart. And this is a real rarity. He's an exceptional man. I mean, he's, he's, the kind of, he's the kind of guy that I would love to sit down and talk to. I think a lot of us would. I hope We should be eager to talk to a guy like this, to share our faith with him. Verse 17 to verse 18 again. Now this guy comes and says, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What, what conditions have to be met for me to receive the gift of eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? There's no one good but, that, but one, that is God. Before answering the question about eternal life, Jesus is saying, Before we talk about this thing that you inherit, you need to meet the person and understand the person that gives it to you. You need to understand me. Now those who would say that Jesus never claimed deity would use this verse and say that Jesus in essence was disqualifying himself from being recognized as divine. I disagree. If Jesus was doing that, he should have said, no, don't call me that, you're wrong. I'm not good. He didn't do that. He said, why do, why do you call me good? In essence, you're correct, but I want you to think about it. If you're calling me good and nobody's good but God, then who am I to you? That's what he's saying. Guys, I, we, we don't... I want to be very careful how I say this because I think God can shed his grace on, on people in any number of ways. But I think it's vitally important that we understand who Christ is before we inherit eternal life. There may be an instance where God somehow grants eternal life and that revelation comes very shortly thereafter, but we need to know that Jesus Christ was a sacrifice for our sins. 
that God took on flesh and became a man and, and went to a cross and died for our sins, was put in the, in the grave and rose three days later and ascended into heaven. We need to understand who Jesus is. And so this man came asking a really, really good question, but Jesus said, hang on a second, there's something more important, you need to know who I am. I have a friend that I talk to about eternal life on occasion, and, and we have good conversations, but my friend says, it's just that Jesus guy. He just kind of, I just, he kind of just gets in the way. <laughs> my words, not theirs. But my friend recognizes that Jesus is kind of the, the, the issue. Jesus is kind of the speed bump on the way to eternal life. Jesus is, is the pivot point. Jesus is the fulcrum. Jesus is like, if you can't get past Jesus, then you can't really have eternal life. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to this guy. The guy's asking a great question. But Jesus, notice guys, also notice this, Jesus isn't in a hurry to have him bow his head, raise his hand, say a prayer, and sign up on church membership. He's not in, he's not, Jesus is not in a hurry with this guy. In fact, Jesus is going to kind of make it hard for him. Charles Spurgeon, I was thinking about this. Uh, I, I, you guys know I'm going to be taking a sabbatical October, November, December. One of the things that I get to do, I get to go back to Ukraine and I get to teach some young men uh, at the church where Ryan and Jenny Pebbleir are serving. Uh, it's, it's a young church, but they're starting to raise up some young men, and so I'm going to go teach the pastoral epistles to some, you know, some guys in their 20s, um, you know, two or three hours a day for five days. I just can't wait. But I was thinking something that Charles Spurgeon said to his students. Charles Spurgeon was a great English preacher in the 1800s in London, and he told the guys in his class, in his seminary class, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can imagine doing anything else, do it. Because if you can imagine being happy doing anything else, then you're not going to be able to be a good pastor. Because you need to be committed. And it's almost, it makes me think about Jesus like, oh, you want eternal life? Slow down, mister. What about me? What do you think about me? He's not in a hurry. Because if we're going to have eternal life, we need to get it right about Jesus. So he's making him think. He's He's not just saying, raise your hand, you know, bow your head, repeat after me. He's making him think. Verse 18, Jesus is sneaky like that, huh? He's just, I say that in a sanctified way. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Think about it. Think about who you're talking to. Why did you come to me? Why did you say that I'm sinless? Why did you say that I have complete goodness? Why are you saying that to me? No one's good except God. So what am I to you? Because what I am to you is going to determine if you're going to follow my advice. If I'm just a good guy, better than most, but, but certainly not divine, then, then my advice can be weighed out and, and you can decide if you want it or not and you can reject it or you can accept it. But if I'm God, you better accept it. Otherwise, I'm just a, another man with another idea. And so he's really challenging him here. Jesus said to him, Okay, rich young ruler, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. Now, Jesus is directing his attention to Exodus chapter 20, which presumably this guy is a, is a Jewish man, we don't know, but He's, he's pointing him there, so you can kind of guess that he's probably a Jewish man who knows those commandments. Jesus is speaking to him in a language that he understands. These are commandments 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So six commandments 
The last six. Jesus doesn't start with the first four. He starts with the last six. And the last six commandments are about how we treat our fellow man. Do you treat people right? He talks about our horizontal living. Do you commit adultery? Do you, have you murdered? Do you steal? Do you lie about people? Do you cheat people? Are you good to your parents? You want to know, how do we, you want to know what you have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, if you can keep all of these, have you, have you kept all of these? And the young man said, in his mind at least, Teacher, I have observed all these things from my youth. He felt that he kept these things, at least outwardly. Jesus, look at your notes, guys, if you would, in the Sermon on the Mount, said the laws of God, the commandments of God, are not just about performance. It's about our hearts. It's about what's in our hearts. So you you probably heard these. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, or fool, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So Jesus is saying, you know, Moses taught you in the Old Testament not to murder. But I'm telling you, if it's in your heart, then you've already violated the command because the intention of the command is that your heart would be right with people around you and your heart would be right with God. Matthew 5:27 You have heard it said of old to those of old you shall not commit adultery but I say to you whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this young man apparently externally could say yeah I've never committed adultery but you know Jesus if if he had more time or or at some other point would say yeah but what's in your heart? But the young man kind of seems to have some confidence right now. I, have, I haven't done any of those things. Nobody can blame me about any of those things. And maybe externally he hadn't done them. I highly doubt that he hadn't done these, some, at least some of these things in his heart. You know, I, you know, forgive me if this sounds like an old guy statement, okay? I've been told lately I'm sounding more like a grandpa, <laughs> which I am. And, and uh, you know, but what teenage boy doesn't kind of think his dad is... is dumb as a bag of rocks at some point or something, you know? So, and, 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 you know, wh- what child at some point doesn't think their parents don't know what they're talking about and at least in their heart dishonors them? It's doubtful that he really kept these commandments. But, but he thought he did. He thought he was, he was doing pretty well. And it's really interesting to me that Jesus didn't stand, okay, didn't say, okay, let, now let's go through these things. So you're saying there was never one time that you, and Jesus didn't do that with him, you know? He didn't do that with him. Jesus just looked at him and loved him. David Gusick has the funniest comment on this. I tried to put it on your notes, but I'll just tell you. David Gusick, uh, Calvary Chapel in Santa Barbara, he said about this young man, you know, Jesus loved this guy because he saw that this young man had climbed to the top of the ladder of success, but the ladder was leaning on the wrong building. (laughs) He just looked at him. You know, Jesus might have even had this sanctified kind of head shake and kind of smile like, Oh, you poor dumb young guy, you know, or something like that. You know, Jesus never sinned, so you know, if I'm putting words in Jesus' mouth, they're not sinful, you know. He looked at him and loved him. This guy thought he was okay. You know what? He kind of was okay, according to everybody. Everybody would want a kid like this. Every mom would say, "Why can't you be like him?" You know, he's a great guy. But he knew something was missing. 
Turn your pages over. Look at verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. He loved him. He didn't, you know, kind of go, Dumbo. I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't do anything like that. He loved this guy, and he said to him, okay, all right, whatever. <laughs> One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. Now, I want you to know that Jesus is radically challenging this guy. Radically challenging him. But you have to know he's challenging him because he loves him. First, he challenged him about his treatment of his fellow man. Now, he's kind of taking a backdoor approach a little bit and saying, okay, you think you kept commandments 5 through 10? Probably not, but let's say you did. How about this? You came and called me good. No one's good but God. Therefore, I'm God. The first four commandments talk about loving God supremely. Do you love me supremely? And he said that to him because he loves him. And he said that to him because he wants him to inherit eternal life. But guys, eternal life, the whole idea of salvation these days is being tossed around like a little cheap ticket that you can buy at the liquor store. We, are, we will never be saved unless we come to the end of ourselves. You'll never be a Christian unless you are willing to forsake everything and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. We never make promises, God, I'm not going to sin. We never make promises that we're not going to do this or I am going to do this. We don't make promises to God. We make a pledge to God that I'm going to follow you. Thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me for my sins. I'm going to follow you. With everything I have, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to believe in you. And it grieves my heart to see what is being tossed around as a cheap salvation today. I just have to go off on this a little bit. The gospel is not being explained. In some churches in our city, the gospel is not being explained. Jesus is being offered up cheap to people. You guys have to watch out for that. I hope and pray as we go through this thing, you're going to see the cost of following Jesus is very high. But it's totally worth it. Amen? Totally worth it. I've never regretted following Jesus. I haven't always followed him well, but I've never regretted it. And every time I've chosen to follow him, it's cost me and cost my wife, cost our children, cost my friends. It's always, there's always a cost involved, but we are always exponentially blessed. Always. So Jesus is challenging this guy on the point where this guy needs to be challenged. Jesus spoke directly into this man's life. And I am convinced that he's saying, he doesn't tell everybody if you want to be saved, every, give everything you have away. There are some religious uh, entities and some religions that say poverty is the key. Poverty is not the key to salvation in regards to not having possessions. You can be, you can be broke and still be a sinful person unforgiven by God. You can still have a problem with money and, and selfishness and greed when you have nothing. It's not just rich people that have problems, some rich people that have problems with selfishness. It's poor people too. They wish they had the money that the rich guy had. The rich guy wishes he had more. The poor guy wishes he had some of that guy's. It's heart issues. So Jesus is speaking to the heart issue of this guy and he says, guys, and we see it in the story, so Jesus can see through this guy. And he says, your problem is, you think you're okay with all these people, we're not going to talk about that, you're probably not. But the real issue is, so you came to me 
And I'm, I'm God in the flesh. And so if I'm God in the flesh, are you going to do what I say? Your problem is that you love your stuff. You love your stuff. That's the master passion of your life. It has been said that an idol or a God with a little g is whatever the master passion of your life is. And so Jesus is saying, remember those first four commandments about honoring the the Lord your God? Remember those? Well, you love your stuff more than you love me, so if you want to follow me, you're going to have to let go of your stuff because it's holding you back from following me. He doesn't say that to everybody about selling everything. I want you to turn over to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Would you guys just do that? A couple of pages to the left there. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well and asked Jesus, what is the first commandment of all? See, this is a parallel, isn't it? What's the most important thing? The scribe is asking a good question too. What's the most important thing? Jesus answered him and said, The first of the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. That's what's most important. That you love God first with everything. That nothing would keep you from loving God and obeying God and following God. Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Turn back to Mark 10. So where did Jesus start? He started with the second part of it. Have you loved the people? Of course, magnificently. Well, probably not. But let's get back to me. Do you love me? God in the flesh in front of you? You called me good. Remember, you called me good. And no one's good but God. So if you're serious, if you're serious about following me, you have to let go of the thing that keeps you from following me. I had to in 1980. I got saved in 76, 72. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Massage of the brain. Anyway, you guys have kind of heard my story. Backslid for about six years, got involved with craziness, and a guy said, came after me, and he said, you know you need to get back to Christ. And I said, I know I do. Well, are you ready? Uh, He goes, do you agree? Yes. Are you ready? No. Why? Because I didn't want to give up my lifestyle. I had to give up the thing that was keeping me from following Jesus. And for this guy, it's money and possessions. And God is asking each one of us, what is it for you? What is it for you that keeps you from following Jesus? It's great that you guys are here. I'm I'm pleased as anything when anybody comes to church. (laughs) It's a blessing. I love to teach the word, love to talk to you guys. But this is God talking to us. What is it that keeps you from following Jesus? And the room's filled primarily with Christians, but there can still be things that keep us from following Jesus. When a person becomes a Christian, you initially say, I'm willing to set aside whatever keeps me from following you. And then we do, and we start following Jesus. But guess what? The darn stuff keeps creeping back in, doesn't it? It finds a little little foothold in our lives and, and starts to wedge itself back in again. Whatever it was, it might have been possessions, it might have been passion, it might have been position, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Who knows what it was? But things start wedging themselves back in again and we need once again, over and over again, to, to, to be willing to say, I'm going to set that, I need to set that stuff aside because it keeps me from following you. Guys, every one of us has something that keeps us from following or tries to keep us from following Jesus. 
So if you're a Christian today, we always have to have vigilant watch over our own lives about those things. We do. You guys know that we do. And if you're not a Christian today, I, I would have to guess that there's something that's keeping you from following Jesus. For some people, it's even just the pride of their intellect. Well, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, if we're talking about the divine here, I understand that not everything is going to make sense to you, but God will, God will show enough of himself to make sense to you so that you can make a commitment of faith and begin to get to know him. For some people, it's, they're academics or intellectualists or intellects or, or, or whatever the case may be. There's something that would keep you from following Jesus. And Jesus lovingly, look at verse 21, guys. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, you know what? This is what you lack. You have too many PhDs. Throw them in the fire. This is what you lack. You have too much stock in Google. Uh, get rid of it. This is what you lack. You have too many friends outside your marriage. Get rid of them. This is what you lack. Uh, yeah, you have too many mirrors in your house. Go break them. <laughs> this is what you lack. <laughs> Whatever it is, whatever it is, this is the thing that's keeping you from following me. And you said I was good. You're the one that said it. So Jesus knows how to talk to us. Notice also, as before we go on, one thing you lack, go, go your way, sell what you have, and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. He didn't just say get rid of the bad stuff. He said... Get rid of that stuff that keeps you from following me. And then, two words, follow me. And then follow me. Remember, remember what the question was? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What conditions have to exist in my life for me to receive the free gift of salvation? What conditions? And Jesus would say the condition that needs to exist in your life is that you have nothing in front of me. That you choose nothing more than me. That's the condition that has to exist. And right now there's something that, that you've chosen over me and it's going to be revealed right now. Verse 22, by verse, verse 21, when he says, take up the cross and follow me, the cross is the instrument of death. It's death to self. It's death to self-will. De- death to self-governing. Death to self-determination. So we get rid of, we are willing to give up, and we do give up whatever keeps us from following him, and then we follow him. Look at verse 22. But he was sad at this word, and he went away grief, for he had great possessions. At least he understood what the issue was. (laughs) At least he understood. He went away sad, just thinking, man, I totally get it. I love my stuff. Now I have to go think about it. I wish I wouldn't have asked him. <laughs> I could have been just happy and nice and feeling good about being nice to people and I could have been okay, but this nagging feeling that there's something wrong with me, there's something lacking, and then I, why did I ever go talk to him? Now he's really messed my life up. Now I have to make a decision. I, I'm, he got it. He understood. That, that guy right there, and we don't know how it's turned out, Ray Stedman, uh, uh, who had a church in Palo Alto for many, many years, he thinks it was the gospel writer Mark that Mark was talking about himself. We don't know. But whoever it was, he understood, he understood that it's either my way or his way. And he's not going to share the throne with me. And he went away bothered. And, and I, I, I love when I talk to people and they go away bothered. I love it. Because that means they understand. They understand that there's a cost. 
When people don't go away bothered and they think, oh, it really doesn't matter, then they don't get it at all. This guy got it. He understood. We don't know what happened. Look at your notes there, verse 9 on page 2. Essentially, Jesus asked him to repent. You have to repent to inherit eternal life. What has to happen? What do I have to do? What condition must be met for me to, to inherit the free gift? God has a free gift for me. He has forgiveness for me. He has salvation for me. He has provision for me. He has companionship. He has friendship. He has counseling. He has a wonderful life on earth. and He has heaven for me. He has all this amazing inheritance that I get to have just if I believe, but a condition must be met. What's the condition that must be met? You have to repent. You know, sometimes in evangelicalism, Debbie, I had the wisdom to let Debbie check my sermon yesterday. We just talked about it, and my wife gives me such insight. You know, she says, in Christendom today, a lot of people say, you don't have to do anything. Just believe. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, you have to do something. You have to repent. You have to repent. What has to happen for me to receive eternal life? You have to repent. The word repent, look at your notes. It means to change your mind. This man went away knowing that he had to change his mind, but it was hard to change his mind because his heart was invested in his money and in his possessions. He understood it, though, thank God. But he knew he had to change his mind. He had to make a decision. Guys, I, I, I can't, you know, I'm not on the war path this morning except for the fact that a lot of churches are, are, they're, are they're crossing that word out of the Bibles now because it seems so threatening and it seems so oppressive and, and it seems so unreasonable and all of that. And people are being sold an easy believism in a cheap Jesus and a cheap salvation. Gosh, don't buy into that, you guys, wherever you go. If the Lord leads you to another church, another city, another state, and, and, they're, and they're excluding the words sin and repentance, run out of that church. Run. Preaching a partial gospel is no gospel at all. Preaching a partial Bible is no Bible at all. Look at your notes. John the Baptist, his first words, repent, change your mind, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, Matthew 4, 17, began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist and Jesus thought it was necessary to tell people, you need to change your mind. What you're doing right now is just you being in charge. You need to change your mind. You need to lay it down. You need to give it up. You need to trust me. You need to trust that God is good, that he's for you and not against you. You need to give it up. And it grieves my heart when I'm hearing messages. I'm sorry, you know. I, I, I'm not trying to pick a fight with anybody, but doggone it, you know. <laughs> There's some churches preaching cheap grace, and it's, it, it, it's, it has to be displeasing to God. It has to be. Jesus Christ gave it all for us. But he said, you know what? You need to give it all for me. You need to repent. And this guy understood it, and he went away grieved because he wasn't ready to repent. You need to have a change of mind. We don't know how the story turned out. Verse 23 then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to have the, enter the kingdom of God. 
It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, Who then can be saved? But looking at them, Jesus said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Financial wealth can, not always, but it can be a stumbling block regarding those who choose to follow Jesus. Look at your notes. By the way, a lot of people misquote the Bible. They say money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. Money is very useful in the kingdom of God. By the way, (laughs) I'm not asking for me and I'm not asking for Cornerstone. We have some missionaries that have gone out of this church who are living, living on a thread. The Pebbleers and also the Mosleys. And some of you have said you're going to support the Mosleys and the Pebbleers are in Ukraine, Carrie and Gary Gu. And some of you guys, you know what? If you're not giving to the Lord, it's time to start. Today. It's time to start giving. And we need to support these people who have... They, the Mosleys gave it all away and sold it all and gave it all away. Everything they own is in their car. Right? You want to, do, you want, do, you want to part, do you want to partner with them in the kingdom of God? Yes or no? It's time, to, it's time to not just say it. And with, with Ryan and Jenny, a lot of you guys don't know them. They were a, little, a few years ago that they, that they took off. But you know, quite honestly, we need to support them. I'm, just, I'm, I'm pleading on their behalf. You know, They didn't ask me to do this. I said, can I have your permission? And Ryan's like, yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, they're living by faith. Three or four or five hundred bucks a month. That's it. So, Money is not the root of all evil. Money is useful. Praise the Lord for rich Christians. <laughs> Praise the Lord for rich, gen- for, I should say, rich, generous Christians. Look at your notes. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what the rich young ruler was struggling with. For which some Christians have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I think about a guy falling on, this is kind of gross, but this is how my mind thinks. Think about a, a bunch of spears buried in the ground with the tips up and he's so greedy, he just falls on him and he pierces himself. So, ladies, have a nice morning. But it's, it's this gross picture of somebody piercing themselves through with sorrow because they're greedy. The love of money is what causes people to stay away from Jesus and to fall away from Jesus. But money is not the problem. It's the greed. It's the love of money. Look at the next one. 1 Timothy 6, just a few verses later, and Paul is writing to Timothy who is, who is pastoring Christians. Look what he says. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly in all things to enjoy. Let them do good. Guys, with whatever finances you have, they don't belong to you. They belong to the Lord. Pray about it. Pray about your vacations. Pray about how many times a week you should go out to eat. Pray about all of these things, about all your purchases. If you, if you have freedom to buy something nice and big and shiny, praise the Lord and use it for his glory. But maybe God wants to say, you know what? You don't need 27 lattes a month. You know, knock off about 15 of those and support a missionary. Don't love things so much that you forget about other people. That's kind of the point. Look at, let those who have finances, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Willing to share. 
and storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Sometimes we are fearful, aren't we, about what am I going to do in my retirement? I understand that. I'm getting older. What am I going to do if there's not enough money? Do I have to keep it for myself? No, we store up in heaven. That's where our treasures are. Where our treasures are, that's where our heart will be. So, Money, money is very useful in the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to many of you, and some of you I know, some of you I don't know, you know. And I try not to know. Who, in fact, I don't know. I've never counted an offering here in 27 years. I was taught that by Pastor Chuck Smith. Don't count the money. Don't count the money, because I don't want to know who gives. But every once in a while, I'll hear a little praise report about somebody being generous. I'm like, oh, wow, it's so wonderful. You know, it's great. It's beautiful to see people generous, you know. And not struggling like the rich young ruler. Not going away grieved because they love their stuff. Let's finish this thing. Verse 24, Jesus talks about, uh, verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now what's that about? Two thoughts. Uh, There was a gate in the wall in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle or something like that. It's a small gate in the wall around Jerusalem and if a camel could barely squeak through if it went through on its knees and did the camel wiggle, you know, like that or something. And, and some people say Jesus is saying you've got to be on your knees. You've got to be humbled. You've got to be brought low. A rich man, he has to realize that he can't trust in his riches. He has to trust in the Lord. He can't love his riches. He has to love God. And so it speaks of humility. And, and it could be that. Or it could simply be that Jesus is speaking in hyper, hyperbole and saying it's pretty much impossible. Such is the condition of the human heart. It's so easy to love things. But I love this. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, verse 26, who can be saved? In that culture, they equated wealth with God's blessing. Verse 27, but looking at them, Jesus said, with men it's impossible, you better say amen after this, but but not with God, for with God all things are possible. (laughs) With God all things are possible. He can turn the heart of anybody. He can turn the heart of anybody. He was touching the heart of this rich young ruler, calling him. But the rich, the rich young ruler still had to, had to make that, the decision. But it's possible. Verse 28, Peter. <laughs> then Peter began to say to him, Look, we've left all and followed you. Congratulate us. High fives, fist bumps, Jesus. And Jesus said in verse 29, Assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house What a wonderful promise, guys. There was no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, oh yeah, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. Peter may have been congratulating himself. But Jesus is saying, look, yeah, it costs you to follow me. It absolutely costs you to follow me. But what you lose is nothing compared to what God blesses you back with. Nothing compared. And it's not always just uh, finances. We don't give to get. I, I know in my own life, um, Choosing to follow Jesus, I have, I have relatives in Christ, blood relatives by the blood of Christ, 
in, in multiple continents around the world. I can go places and be connected to people. Sometimes, even with a language barrier, there's just a bond there. I have family. I have friends. I have people that would do things for me and do things for my family. I'm a rich man. You know, not, not financially, but I'm a rich man in the things of God. And all of us have to work through struggles with our children, with our grandchildren, wanting to provide for them. How much do we save for retirement? How much is enough? How much isn't enough? How much, you know, at what point are we being wise and at what point are we being greedy and all these kinds of things. And we're talking about the rich young ruler today, so I'm talking about that. But we have to do all things in faith. I could never outbless myself. <laughs> I, I could never outbless God. I, I could never match the blessings He's brought into my life. I could never do it. But it, it costs each one of us something to follow Jesus. So most of us here in the room are, are Christians, I think. But I was also thinking, uh, Laura and Dave, if you guys want to make your way up here, we're going to close with a song here in a moment. Um, I was also thinking, you know, Jesus, Jesus made quite a statement to Peter, didn't he? You're going to have mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and friends and all these things all over the place. And you, Peter, you've chosen to, to, um, to leave some things behind. You've stepped away from your fishing business and you've stepped away from family and friends, and you've been on the road with me three and a half years, and, and uh, all these kinds of things. And, uh, but, but, but you're exponentially blessed. And I was thinking in the body of Christ, I wonder how many of us, how do I say this? How many of us have decided to follow Jesus, but we haven't started enjoying the exponential blessing yet? You kind of think, well, Pastor Bill, you have family and friends in other countries that are not actual blood relatives, but they're relatives in Christ because God calls you to go travel and this and that. And, and yes, God does call me to go travel and this and that. And it's been a blessing. And, and I've had to give up to go do that. I've had to you know, leave my wife and kids when they were young when we first moved here when I realized the Napa River was flooding on our, on our anniversary. And I'm, I'm driving away to go to SFO. I was giving something up, you know. I'm not patting myself on the back. We all give stuff up to follow Jesus. But there's exponential blessings if we do. And so many of us may be in Christ, but we've never enjoyed the vast exponential blessings that God has for us because we just stop short all the time of really trusting in him and we're unwilling to give some things up. You're unwilling to give up your time to serve in the kids' ministry. You're willing, unwilling to give up your finances to, to bless a missionary. So you sit at home and you're secure with your bank account, but the joy of the Lord isn't what it could be because you're playing it safe. Guys, he didn't save us to play it safe, did he? He's, well, there was a rousing response. He didn't save... <laughs> oh, do I have to start over again? He didn't save us to play it safe. He, played, he saved us to walk in faith and bring him glory. The Pavaliers are not glorifying God. It's right, that, the church in Machakovo, Machakovo, is rocking right now. It's rocking right now. But it's happening because some people didn't play it safe. They didn't, they didn't play it safe. We'll go if you, if you promise us a, this retirement. No, we're going. We're just going to go. I'm not saying being foolish. I'm saying go in faith. Move in faith. Live in faith. And I was thinking, boy, Jesus said we have all this stuff, 
But I'm thinking, I think there's some Christians that aren't enjoying it because we're playing it safe. I'm not saying be foolish. I'm saying be faithful. Do you feel like you have a, a much bigger family? Amazing, wonderful family in Christ? Do you feel like you've been given resources? Do you feel like you've been given opportunities that are far beyond your own ability to earn and, and, and maintain? Do you feel like it? It's, if, you, if you're experiencing it, it's because you're living in faith. If you're not, it's because you're maybe just, you're, you're, you're safe in your salvation and you're just keeping the windows closed and you're not going to step out. It's an encouragement. I don't mean to beat anybody. It's an encouragement. I'm going to read it again. It's just too good, isn't it? If your Bibles are still open, if not, Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospel who shall not receive a hundredfold now. Have you, do you feel like you've received a hundredfold now? You can. I think. Whatever, whatever you started with, he can make it a hundredfold. Whatever you started with. It's there, isn't it? You guys with me? You okay? Yeah. You don't, you, I'm not mad at you. You know that, right? <laughs> it says it right there. He shall receive a hundredfold now. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Oh yeah, with persecutions. That's sometimes when we pull back. And there goes the hundredfold because I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want them talking about me at work, so I'm going to pull back. There goes the hundredfold. Well, at least I have my pew. Well, get a brass plaque and put your name on it. Is there any questions? (laughs) How do you explain God and Jesus and how they are Father and Son and also the same to a non-believer? One God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's an absolute mystery. The Bible teaches it. It's, it's beyond, in so many ways, human comprehension. I heard it put this way one time, and every, every human example is a bad example because it falls short. But if you had a test tube long enough with water in it, and you froze this end, and this, end, this part was at room temperature, and this part was, was under high heat, you would have ice, water, and steam, all the same water in one test tube. It it falls short. Google it. (laughs) I'm not not trying to be snarky. Is it true that there are two ways to have eternal life, go to heaven, to be perfect towards God, to trust in Jesus and what he did for us? Yeah, except we can't be perfect. Good question. No, no, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that pleases God. Romans chapter 3, verses about 12 down to 19 tells us all the ways that men fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if it was possible to to earn our salvation, uh, I guess somebody could have done it, but it's just not possible. So that's why we needed Jesus. Good question. The phrase, take up the cross, spoken by Jesus, how would the young guy view that phrase? There were crosses all over the place. You walk downtown or you go to certain parts of Jerusalem outside the city gates and there would be crosses up on the hill with people nailed on them or tied to him. So he knew exactly what a cross was. Would he understand that there could be suffering to follow Jesus? When Jesus said cross, I'm sure he understood it. You couldn't be a Jew in Jerusalem and not understand that. That's how the Romans maintained peace 
by killing people. Wonder what, they, what would have happened if the young man did obey and follow Jesus. He would have had eternal life and a hundredfold more than he had. Would we be reading his name and deeds in scripture? Maybe, maybe not, don't know. There's a lot of people that got saved that we don't read about, but their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So we, we can read about it there. Good questions. Have you heard the saying, not, not your way, but Yahweh? Um, <laughs> I have now. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you for such a great salvation. You're a great Savior. You're a great God. You love us so much, and you love us so much that um, you just won't leave us the way that we are. Lord, you'll question us and have us question ourselves and examine our own hearts and you'll, you'll bring us to that, that awful point, awful and wonderful point of having to make a decision to let it all go and to trust you. So Lord, for any unbelievers here, any unsaved, uh, any people here today that don't know you yet, Lord, may they realize it's the best decision that they could ever make. And Lord, for all of us who proclaim your name, may you find us continually saying yes to you. Thank you, Lord.